James chapter 1. Last week we looked at primarily at who the guy is that names himself James in the book. It is the little brother of Jesus, but he never mentions that, oddly enough. He only mentions that he is a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts Jesus not on the level of a human, of his own brother, but on the level of the Godhead, which he is. And that, we saw last week, only became clear after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He didn't notice it in his own brother during the life of Christ. Last week, we looked at who he was, who he became, where he had come from, why he would write, and why he might be so direct in this letter. Remember what I said? In 108 verses, we get 54 imperatives. You're going to see a couple of them this morning. That's, that's one imperative in every other verse. That's one command in every other verse of this short letter. It's a very direct. Remember what I said? It's a, uh, well, I didn't say it. Preacher in Texas said it. It's a punch in the throat kind of letter right here. Very direct. He doesn't mince words. And uh, we mentioned that it's not because he's mad. It's not because he's bitter. It's not because he is frustrated. It's because he is madly in love with his Jesus. And he is madly in love with those who would name the name of his Savior. If you needed a theme for the book, I gave it to you last week in the form of a question. Is your faith a fraud? Might be a good theme to carry you through the book. I really like James uh, because he really doesn't skimp around any of the tough issues. You know, it's easy to be a theologian when you only deal with surface, easy stuff, right? It's easy to be a theologian from the pulpit, but when you get out to life and you have to deal with some of the real, the real issues and the real struggles, then you really see what kind of theology you have. And James, I love his letter, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm liking him more and more the deeper I get into it because he doesn't, he doesn't skirt around the issues. For example, in the very start here, we get a very short introduction, who he is in one verse. He doesn't say a whole lot. He just gets to the point. He greets who he needs to greet. And then he jumps in with, a, with an imperative and gets right to it. And he picks the most difficult, probably, topic to speak on or to write on of all of them. I mean, think about this. Let me explain. If you're going to write a letter that essentially has the theme, if you have faith, your life should look like this, right? Which is pretty tough. You say you have faith, your life probably should look like this. If you're going to write that kind of letter in the direct way that he does, you got to imagine you're going to get some excuses from us, right? Like, well, James, bro, you don't, you don't really know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't really know all the hardship and all the trouble that I've faced in the past. Right now, I mean, I'm going through this. I'm going through X, Y, and Z. You got to imagine that you're going to get some of that. And it's like James just, he almost, uh, realizes that's going to be the case, and he says, let's just jump on that right now. <laughs> Number one, you see, and so James doesn't skirt the tough issues. And by tough issues, I mean the question that we've all asked, the question that we all ponder and we struggle with over and over and over. Uh, what, is, what is it about life that makes it so dang hard? Why is it that troubles come? Why is it that sea billows continue to roll? What is the answer to that? Paul, uh, James does not avoid that issue. Now, let me say this. If, uh, if you are in no need for a word from God on uh, how to live amidst struggles in life, then you can, you can go ahead and head out right now. I don't think any of us are, right? We all understand that it's just sort of one of those, one of those sort of necessary parts of our life. It's sort of the implied, it's the given of all of life. 
that we all have struggles. We all have difficulties. We all have things that slap us in the face day after day. Some of us, the stretch between is further apart. And some of us, they, they feel like sometimes they're just coming one right after another. But if you don't feel like, you know, you need a word from the Lord on trials, then this message isn't for you. This, this book really isn't for you. Uh, there's a couple of things I can assume about you right now is, number one, you're probably not married. Sorry, honey. Number two, uh, you most likely do not have kids, right? You're probably single with no kids. Amen. And uh, you don't have a job that brings any stress or troubles in that way. Uh, let's, just, let's just face it. You're probably dead sitting right where you are. That's the only way you don't have any troubles in this life. Job, who you all know, he was the guy who got hit, uh, in our probably estimation, the hardest in all of the testimonies of Scripture. He said this about facing trouble in life, about the inevitable fact that we will face trouble as sparks go up in a chimney. So a man is born for trouble. I mean, Job knew that to be the fact, right? But it's true for all of us. It's that consistent. It's a given. When you light a fire, the sparks go up the chimney. That's just how our life is. When, we're, when our fire is lit, when we are born, it's a given that we're going to have those sparks in our life. We're going to have those, those flames of trouble in our life. So here we go. After an amazingly short greeting by James, we're going to jump right into the thick of it. We're going to look at it, verses 2, 3, and 4 this morning. And the question, if you need a question that we're going to be addressing this morning, is this. What should the Christian's faith look like? Amidst trials, what should the Christian's faith look like amidst trials? Let me go ahead and give you a pretty short and easy outline. I don't always do this, but I'm going to give it to you today because it will help you as we track through these three verses. For verse two, you can put down that he's going to tell us what our response to trials should be. Verse two, the response to trials. And these are all going to start with an R to make it real easy on you this morning. Verse 2, the response to trials. Verse 3, he's going to go into the reason for trials. In verse 4, we're going to end up talking about the ultimate result of trials. Our response to trials, the reason for trials. Verse 4, the result of trials. Let's first look at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various Trials. Now, I want you to notice something here, because I mentioned now two weeks in a row that James, uh, as direct as he is and as as forthright as this book is and as immediately as he jumps into topics and as uh, as just harsh as he sometimes seems to be. I want you to know that over 15 times he uses this phrase, my brethren. He is in love with the people of God. OK, it's as if James is pouring his heart out to these people. Fifteen times he'll use that phrase, my brethren. So, again, don't think that he's mad here. He's madly in love, not only with his God, but with his God's people. And so you get this guy who's pouring his heart out. My brethren, his firmness is coupled with warmth. Consider it all joy. Now, you need to know, and let me say this, uh, for these three verses, um, I'm going to be, this is going to be a little bit academic here to start, okay? So I'm going to need you just to hang on with me because I'm going to be talking about this word means that and this word means that. But this, this, this section is so chock full of words that are pregnant with meaning that I've got to stop through and it's going to be a little choppy here. And I just got to tell you how these words fit and how they expand and how we can unpack them and how you can understand the complete meaning of each word, even, even the simple word of all, okay? So that, so that you'll get the full picture that when we back off 
towards the end here, you'll be able to see it clear. Does that make sense? So we're zooming in right now, all right? And so hang with me as we go academic and we just look at some words and it seems choppy here. But we're going to back off and we'll, we'll wrap it all up and you'll understand a little bit better. The first word in the sentence is the Greek, in the Greek is the word all. It gets the prime position in the sentence. What that means is that is emphatic for the author. All joy, my brethren, consider it. Okay? That's how it goes. All. And by all, sounds simple, right? By all, he means all. <laughs> right? All right, so don't eliminate any categories here. Count it all joy. All things consider it joy. Uh, you'll maybe uh, be thinking of other verses along these same lines because this is not unique to James. It is, in fact, the biblical position when it comes to trials in our life. All things work together. Rejoice in all things. Be anxious for nothing in everything in prayer and supplication. Giving thanks for all things. Count it all joy. All right, so that's, uh, that's replete in Scripture. You're going to hear it over and over and over again. But that's where James starts. All things, my brethren, Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Look at the word consider. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It, uh, it literally means to add up. It's sort of a mathematical or accounting term. Uh, if you have a King James Version, it might say reckon. I actually like the King James uh, translation of this. To reckon, we understand it's, it's from the word to reconcile, to add it up. It's an accounting term. And it means to consider it thoughtfully examine it, add it all up, draw a line, and see what the result is. What does it equate to? All right, so what do we do with these trials that we are facing? All right, we consider it all joy. Consider it. What does that mean? We equal it out. We reconcile the books so that we understand when we add up all of our trials, it should balance out on our balance sheet to equal what? Joy. Okay? So what he's saying here is make it in your mind match equal to, all right? Add it up to come to this correct conclusion. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Consider what? All joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, circle the word when, notice that he doesn't say if, right? We said this is a given. This is implicit in life. It doesn't say if we will endure trials. It says when. His point? It's coming. It's coming. When you encounter, the word encounter means that you walk headlong into it or that it, it walks headlong into you. To encounter something, to encounter various trials, it's, it's really the compound word that means to fall into or to run into, to walk into or to have been surrounded by. I think that's the best picture to understand Encounter. So consider it, add it up, so that it equals joy, brethren. All joy. Consider it all to equal joy when you add up what? The trials. And where do these trials come from? How do, they, how do you encounter them? Well, they, they find you. Isn't that true? They find you. Now, you need to understand what the word trials means. It's also translated sometimes temptations. Now, both of those words, trials and temptation, they imply in their meaning a test. 
that there is a testing process going on. When you're tempted with something, there's a testing that goes on. When there's a trial, we're testing to see what the facts are and what the result of that trial or case might be. So you understand there's an implied test involved here. Now listen, it can refer to trials that press upon the person from the outside or the temptations that come from within. It can mean that. It can mean the trials that come from the outside or the temptations that come from within. In this case, he's not addressing the temptations that come from within. That's important for you to understand. What we're talking about here in these three verses are the trials that are put upon us that surround us from the outside. You see how that's different? All right. So we're not talking about the things that you bring upon yourself. We're not talking about the problems that come from your own temptations and your own inability to deal with your own lusts and hate and greed, etc. There's another teaching for that. There's another place for that. You can go to, uh, I think it's 2 Peter 4. Brethren, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you face as believers. That's the same idea. But then he goes on. One of my favorite verses is, he says, but listen, don't suffer. Christians don't suffer as a murderer or as a troublemaker. It's almost as if he qualifies what he's going to say there in Peter. And and I need to do this a little bit here in James to say, we're not talking about the things you heap upon yourself, you bring upon yourself. What we're talking about today is in life, you're going to face stuff, whether you want to or not, whether you cause it or not, it's going to be there. Not not if it comes, but when it comes and it will come And the picture he paints here is that it will surround you. And what are we to do? What is our response to be to those trials that surround us? What is our response to be? Well, we are to reckon it, add it up, equate it, reconcile our books so that we come up with the same response that God would have us to come to. Namely, that we rejoice in all of those things, not in some of them, but in all of those situations, scenarios where trials surround us. The command we get in verse two, because it starts here with a command, consider imperative, consider, reckon, is that we equal in our theology joy to the situation. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, the picture is one of a believer falling into And being surrounded by trials which threaten to overwhelm him. These are not his fault. And there is nothing that could have been done to avoid him. Point two, verse three. That is our response. We'll talk more about that as we wrap up. That's our response, verse two. Now what is the reason for trials? What is the reason for trials? Verse three. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces Endurance, knowing that the testing of your faith, that word testing is the same word as the word trials in verse two. So in verse two, where it says, consider it all joy. What is it? Consider it. Consider the trials. Verse three, you could draw a line from it to the testing of your faith or the temptation of your faith or the trial of your faith. Okay. so when he says in verse two, consider it all joy, consider what all joy should be your question. The trials. The temptation that surrounds us, we should consider it all joy. In verse 3, he tells you again what those trials are for. Knowing that the testing or the trial of your faith. Now, that really is the theme of the whole letter. 
and the basis for this whole teaching. What we need to understand here is the reason for those trials, okay, is that there is going on in our life, there is going on in our life a faith check, right? And that's how we know the book of James. We understand the book of James to be, does your faith match your life? Do they balance? Do they correspond? Do they match? Does the lecture match the lab when you go out there, right? It's one thing to sit under lecture, but when you get into the lab, right, it's one thing to look at the science book and and understand how to dissect a frog, but then when they slap that dead frog on your desk and you're trying to do it, you you know, some of you pass out, okay? And the further you go in medicine, the harder it gets. I mean, they're putting cadavers in front of you. Some of us make it through the lecture, okay, but do we make it to, to the lab? Does it balance? Does it measure out? Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This is, church, this is the why. This is the why. The second imperative we get in verse 3 here is knowing. Knowing. There's something about knowing that makes a difference. In the great theologian G.I. Joe, in his words, now you know and knowing is half the battle right yeah all the guys at one time yes gi joe in church right pretty deep dude now you know knowing south battle i used to wonder he'd say that at the end of every cartoon like what is he talking about what do you mean knowing is half the battle i thought i thought the battle was the battle what do you mean knowing is half the battle well in fact knowing truth knowing what to do when you face the danger actually helps you to make it through the danger if you don't know what to do then you're out of luck i mean gi joe at the end of every cartoon he would tell you like what do you do if you step on a rattlesnake kids and kids are like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going to listen to this, though, because if I ever step on a rattlesnake, now I'll know what to do. What do you do if you get punched in the nose? I think he used to say socked in the nose. What do you do, kids, if you get socked in the nose and you're bleeding profusely all over yourself? How do you stop it? Do you pinch your nose, lean back, pinch your nose, lean to the side, stuff a bunch of cotton balls up there, hop on one leg? What do you do, right? And as a kid, you're thinking, well, I might need to know that one day. So you listen. And then he would say at the end, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. It's, it's the knowledge in the midst of battle that gets you through the battle there's something about the trials here that we have to understand why the trials verse 3 says here's what you need to know about it you need to know church you need to know that the way god views all these things that we think surround us here's how god views them that they are in fact being used for the testing of your faith. Now, notice I did not say that God causes them necessarily. All right? It's a whole other message for a whole other day, but I just had to throw that out there. We need to understand here is that in God's estimation, through the author James, what we need to know about these trials that we feel are surrounding us, that will come, that we are to understand in a, in a rejoicing way, we need to understand that, in fact, they are being used to test our faith, to put our faith on trial. Okay? Now, what does it produce? It produces endurance. It's the word hupomone in the Greek. We've seen this word over and over in Scripture. It literally means to remain under the load, sometimes translated abide. It's the picture of a guy who has a heavy burden on his shoulders. And that burden is not crushing him. That person is standing under that burden 
It's a heavy burden, but he is intentionally lifting that burden. What we need to know is that our faith is being tested when these things come. Okay, I can deal with that. What does it produce? It produces something in particular here. It produces many things, but James is going to point out that it produces endurance. Our faith being purified by trials produces a staying power, which enables us to live under pressure. There's an active character about this word endurance. Listen to this. It's not a passive resignation to a situation, but a confident stand when surrounded with overwhelming pressures. One theologian said this about the word. It's the picture of the character of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. It is that tenacity of spirit which holds up under the pressure while awaiting God's time for either reward or dismissal. And so we wait, we abide, we remain under the load. That is the picture of endurance. And endurance is in fact what the trials, which are testing our faith, they're checking our faith, they're trying to see with our faith on trial, will we abide? Can we stand under the load? So what do we know? We know the trials are coming. It's not if, but when. We know that it's not in this context, uh, it's not of our own doing. That's a whole nother passage. But in this context, we're talking about the things that are going to come no matter what we do. And scripture essentially promises us, especially as believers, that they will come. So what are we to know about it? We're to know that as we count it all joy, we have the assurance that something is going on here. And in fact, There is a process going on here. There is a process of our faith being put, in a sense, on trial. You notice the word produces? It's it's technically the word work. And so what he's saying here is this testing of our faith, it's actually working something out. Okay? It's bearing fruit. And the fruit that is desired here is endurance, remaining under the load, hupomone. This word, however, produces should not imply to us that it automatically just comes in an instant. It implies that it is a longer process. It doesn't happen overnight. All right. So uh, this might be bad news for some of you. Right. Because remaining under the load is not a quick deal. It's not a it's not a clean and jerk and you're done. It's the picture of a guy who has to go through a process This testing of your faith that comes through trials, which will come, it is a process and it produces something over time. It births something. It bears some fruit and the fruit that it's designed to bear is endurance in the life of the believer. But it is not a quick process. And so you need to know that. That's the reason for the trials. We've got our response. We've got our reason for the trials let's move on verse three what is the result the ultimate result of these trials and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing Uh, the word let small word there in verse four circle it because i think it's the word that we most need encouragement or admonishment on this morning. It's the idea that we don't 
avoid or attempt to impair the process. The imperative here from James is, hey guys, uh, what's going on here when all this stuff seems to be burdening you, surrounding you in life, which we all know it will, uh, understand that your faith is being tested here. It's just a natural process of how things work. You need to know that. But what you also need to know is that it, it's, it's building something in you. It's a process here working, and it's going to build endurance. And so check this out. Verse 4, let it do its work. And what he's implying here is that we have a tendency as humans to want to shed the load. We don't want to. We don't want to hupa money. We don't want to remain. We don't want to abide. We don't want to sit. We don't want to grow stronger. We don't want, we don't want to wait when we're surrounded with the burdens. What do we want to do? We want to clean and jerk it and move on. We want God to deal with it or we want to deal with it. And if God doesn't deal with it, we want to jump in and deal with it and take care of it and get it out of the way and move on. Believers, there's something we have to understand here that this is part of a process that God designed to build us, to grow us, to strengthen us in our Christian character. And it's not if, but it's when. And it cannot be avoided. So let it do its job. The idea here is, and and many of the commentators alluded to this, is that we have the tendency to gripe and complain when this happens. I mean, what is our human tendency? We get mad, then we get sad, and hopefully we repent, and then we rejoice, and we end up where we're supposed to be in the beginning, counting it all joy. Why? Because actually this is doing something for my faith. What is it doing? It's actually seeing if my faith is a fraud or if my faith is legit. Has the seed sunk in and bearing good fruit, or is the seed getting burned up by the sun and quenched out by the thorns of life? It's doing something. And this is a process. It's a natural process to the Christian growth. So let it do its work. And let endurance, let abiding have its perfect result. All right, so let me read read it all together. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith yields produces, works out endurance. And let that literally working have its perfect, literally, work. Word result, same word, work. Another version of it. It produces, it works out endurance in you, right? Let that working out have its perfect working in you so that here's why here's the ultimate so that you the christian may be perfect just as the working is perfected so that you may become perfect it's the word that implies maturity doesn't mean that you'll be perfect and without sin it means in your christian character god builds into you a level of maturity so let him work out maturity and complete It means whole. And then he states it in a negative way in case we didn't get it the first two times. Not lacking anything. That's the goal. Christian, is God working in the midst of the pain? Apparently so. Apparently so. Does it matter where the pain is coming from? Does it matter who caused the pain? 
It does matter if we've caused the pain. Let me say that. And again, that's another text for another day. It does matter if we if we've brought it upon ourselves. But the idea here that it is coming upon us and it's, it's not of our own doing. Does it really matter if it's God, if it's Satan, whoever it is? Again, another message for another day. For James, it really doesn't matter. Whatever your theology on that answer is, it doesn't matter. Whatever the case may be, wherever it comes from, whoever is the cause of it, check this out. God uses it. So what are we to do? Consider it all joy. Equal it out. Reconcile it in your own mind, in your own heart. Make it make sense that it is joyous. Why could it be joyous, James? I'll tell you why. Because it is, in fact, part of the process of putting your faith on trial, believer, to see when you're squeezed what really comes out. And not only that, as that's doing its deal, it's producing something in you. It's producing this handy little thing called endurance. Because in life we will have troubles. Amen? And so what do we need? We are going to need endurance. And so God, through this process, it's kind of this, you know, chicken before the egg sometimes I'm thinking here. He's building into us what we need and he needs us to have and he's, and he's continuing to build more. It's kind of how endurance training works, doesn't it? We put ourselves through more of it so that we can do more of it. It's a, it's a huge irony. Have you ever thought about this, you guys who lift weights? It's a huge irony that we lift that we lift weights at all. I mean, we do something that is too heavy of us, too heavy for us, so that we can become stronger. But we understand that weights, lifting weights, lifting something too heavy for us, makes us stronger so that we can actually lift something and it won't be too heavy for us anymore. You see the uh, sort of the ridiculousness in this? And it's ridiculous to us. I mean, it, it, but we get it, right? I mean, over time we understand now what lifting weights means. But we, for some reason... We don't get that the trials of this life work the same way for Christians. Not many athletes, and I've played sports a good bit of my life, not many athletes thank their coach after a hard workout. You ever heard that? Man, coach, I wish you could have given some more push-ups, and uh, we could have run a little bit more. Uh, I, almost, I almost threw up, and I wish I could have thrown up. It would have been best if that would have happened. I, I felt like I was about to die, but I didn't. In fact, you should have pushed us a little bit harder, coach. Oh, you don't get athletes saying that. Right? They're cursing their coach in the midst of the, of the training. But you know what? When they put the Super Bowl ring on, their coach is the smartest guy ever to live, isn't he? Yeah? Same way in the military. We got a handful of Marines and military guys here. Any of you Marine guys? You remember sitting in boot camp saying, this drill instructor, he is a genius. <laughs> yes, just you. Yeah. But uh, when you find yourself sitting in Iraq, right, uh, later on and real bullets are flying at you, and it's a place that really does feel like hell, and not just that manufactured hell of boot camp, uh, I guarantee you the thought goes in your mind, I hated that guy, but I'm glad he was there. I remember going to uh, my brother's graduation from uh, Paris Island Marine Corps. Uh, I don't know how old I was. I must have been 15, 16, something like that. And... Uh, I remember uh, walking into his barracks, and his senior DI, his senior drill instructor, was at the other end of the barracks. And if you've never been in a barracks, it's just kind of long haul bunks all along the side, and that middle is open. And his, his guy was at the other end, and it was kind of like a movie. That hall just seemed like three miles long. And the dude was standing here like this. And he was about this tall, as best I remember. He's kind of burned in my memory, and I only saw him one day for like five seconds, and I ran. He was about this tall, weighed probably a buck twenty, soaking wet, about this big around, right? 
And he had his, you know, big smoky bear hat on. He was just kind of standing there like this. And all the parents were coming in. And this was his nice face because by this time the guys are done. You don't have to be mean anymore. So he was being nice. And he's standing there just like this. I don't remember him saying hardly anything. But when he talked, I remember his head was kind of elongated. He looked kind of like the alien. And when he talked, his jaw came out of his mouth and his teeth were like that. And he's just like, and he was just like, ah, scared me to death. I believe that at any moment he could snap and kill me right there. And that's what they want you to think. They want you to think that that manufactured pain and hell, you could die at any minute, but they're not going to kill you there, right? It's so that later on down the road, when there's real, when there's real bullets flying, you look back and you say, that guy is the smartest guy I know. He's a genius. Nobody thanks. Nobody thanks you for the pain in the midst of it. But I mean, think about life. I mean, don't we tell stories when we reminisce? Don't we tell stories about the hard days? Yeah. Don't we tell stories about when we didn't have any money? Don't we tell stories about when uh, when we had the one bedroom apartment? Don't we tell stories when we went and got gas and we could only put two dollars in? We couldn't fill it up. Right. I mean, when we scrapped together change to get the Taco Bell burrito. Okay. Don't we tell stories like that? That's those are the stories we tell. Nobody tells stories of prosperity. Because it's those hard times, it's those it's those foxhole times that bind us together, that, that, that bring about something in us that wouldn't come about if we didn't go through the foxhole. Yeah? God's game plan for spiritual growth isn't always to our liking. His ways to us are an enigma. Yeah? His ways are an enigma to us. They don't make sense. He works the opposite of how we might. To be strong, what do you do? Be weak. To be the first, what do you do? Be the last. To get rich, what do you do? Don't invest here. Invest in in heavenly treasure. Give your money away. His ways don't make sense to us all the time. But can he take our worst days and do something with them that shapes us into a nearer likeness of Christ? Our worst days, can he? Yeah. Yeah. He sure can. Finish this verse. And we know that God causes, what? All things to work together for good for those that love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. Do you see that God God has a goal in mind with us? This whole sanctification process for us, it requires that we not be spoiled. It requires that we not be spoiled. God has a goal for which he is producing in us. They asked Michelangelo after he made the figure of David. They said, how do you, uh, how do you take a hunk of stone like that and make David? Michelangelo's response was, well, that hunk of stone is David. I just knock away the stuff that is not. One chisel at a time. One whack at a time. God knocks away the pieces of us that are not conformed to the likeness of Christ. Sometimes that's, that's not an easy task. Sometimes it, it takes a chisel. Sometimes it needs, it needs the foxhole. Sometimes it, we need to be, it's just the truth, we need to be surrounded by the burdens. Our tendency, though, is... To drop the load and want to run the other way. Or 
to want to fix it ourselves. Binge press it, be done with it. Let's move on. Sometimes, and there's some of you who need this word, sometimes God would have us hold. Hold. And count it all joy. Because you know by the word of God that he is strengthening you. He's building you. He is proving your faith to not be a fraud. And he is building into you, into your spirituality, an endurance that we all know we're going to need in this life. And that endurance is not even the end. That endurance, when its work is done, (laughs) well, it makes us perfect, complete, not lacking anything. Namely, it conforms us to the image of his son, into the likeness of Christ. You know what we want? We want the red jersey. We want the red jersey. Uh, I played quarterback, so you know that. My favorite part about playing quarterback was the red jersey. Red, much like a stop sign or a stoplight, ladies, means what? Stop. All week during practice, I get to wear, and I'm the only guy, I get to wear a red jersey. Unless the school colors are red and that messes everything up and you've got to wear yellow or something. But 99% of the teams out there, you go and you watch the football practice, there's going to be one guy in the practice with a red jersey on. And that red jersey means stop, don't hit me. Pretty cool for me, right? Everybody else is flying around. They're getting blasted. They're getting dirty. They're getting sweaty. They're going full speed. I'm cruising, man. I'm not wearing all the pads in my pants, probably not wearing a mouthpiece. I'm having fun. I'm not getting real dirty, not getting real sweaty. Why? Because I don't have to worry about the cornerback blitz getting in, putting his helmet in my ear hole. I don't have to worry about the linebacker blowing snot bubbles coming up the middle, putting his helmet in my chest. Even if he gets there, coach is going to blow the whistle. He's got to stop at the stop sign. I'm going to stick my tongue out at him because he can't hit the wussy quarterback. I love the red jersey. Kind of like a Superman's cape for cowards. Coach, however, knew better. That if Wussy quarterback stays behind the red jersey all week, we're not going to do very well on Friday night or on Saturday afternoon. So here's what we do. Last thing of the week in practice. Ruist, it's time to take the red jersey off. This is bad news for me. And then he would announce to the defense with great pleasure, I would add, if you can get to the quarterback, take his head off. Thanks, coach, you jerk. Because now he's essentially put a bounty on my head. And all the guys who couldn't hit the wussy quarterback all week long, this is their one shot, they're gunning for me. Guess what? My eyes get this big, you better believe I'm catching up to game speed real quick, and I'm on point. Because even though these guys are on my team, they're trying to kill me. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I never liked it, never got it myself, but that's what's going on. Coach put me in the fire. He put me in the fire. Why? Because he just wanted to have a laugh? Partially. Partially. Uh... But mostly because if I go out there on Friday night, Friday night lights come on, the whole band starts playing, whole town shows up, and I get out on the field after they kick the ball off and I've been practicing half speed all week, I'm going to go half speed in the game. And when these guys start running at me and there's no more red jersey and they not only want to kill me but they're allowed to kill me, uh, I'm going to freak out and it's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for the rest of the team. So what does he do? He finds in practice a time when he can put the heat on even if it's in a manufactured way, so that when game time comes, I can endure. Let's see what you're made out of. We're not going to let you skate through all week. 
Isn't that how we teach our kids? Isn't that how we, isn't that how we train adults in business? Isn't that how we train our military? Isn't that how we, isn't that how we work? Why would it be strange to us that God would utilize such a great technique? So, believers, count it all joy. When you face, when you face all these various trials, by various it doesn't mean, um, it doesn't mean a whole bunch, although that is true. It means that they're all different kinds <laughs> coming, coming at you. Count it all joy when you're surrounded in that way because you know what's going on and you know that God is doing something. Not only he can, but he will do something. If only you joyously remain under the load. You know, as pastor, who I get most excited for in our congregation, it's those of you who are under the load. We got people in our congregation who... Uh, because of our economy, they are under the load. And uh, I smile not because I'm foolish. I smile because I see in them God working through the pain. <laughs> yeah? And, and they don't, like they, they don't want to smile right now. It's tough. Right? And their faith is trying to become a reality and... And flesh out some joy as best they can. And in that whole process, I'm watching from the outside, having been through these processes several times before, I'm watching God do something that only God can do through this scenario. I'm excited for you. I'm most excited as a pastor for you who are going through the furnace, refining fires. To see what we're actually made of. These trials, these trials, they reveal our character and they produce more character. That's what's going on here. It's revealing character. Who are we really? And it is building into us more character. Let it do its work. I know some of you are tired of the weight. I know some of you think it's too heavy. I know some of you would like to throw it down and run the other way. Count it all joy. God's doing something. We've had, we've had people who've had to sell their homes, move in with family, across the country. I talked to the camps on the phone, and uh, every, time I, every time I finish talking to Jack, man, I just, I just say to myself, God, I'm excited. I'm oddly, strangely crazily excited to see what you're going to do through all this that surrounds this family. I think the same thing in many of you. As I watch the trials surround you, I think, God, you're working on something here. And I'm oddly, strangely, crazily excited to see what God is doing in your life. Oh, let it do its work. Let it do its work. Let's pray. Father God, this is a hard word. It is a direct word. It is a precious word to us. Thank you for James. Thank you for James. But thank you for the truth that he conveys to us. We're going to sing in a moment, Lord, that your love never fails. You stay the same forever. 
It is in our knowledge of your character. It is in our trust that you love us. Then we can remain under the load. We know, God, we know that you are doing something beyond our understanding. Your ways are past finding out. We don't always get it. Make our faith strong. Build it into endurance so that we become complete, not lacking anything more of the likeness of your son. Oh, God, help us let it do its work. With the appropriate faith and with the appropriate joy, because we trust you. We trust you. And even when we cry out by faith, God, we trust you. Oh, Lord, we trust that you will bolster that mustard seed of faith. And in this process that continues and starts and begins and ends again and begins and ends and starts again, this whole, this whole sanctifying process, we bring only the mustard seed of faith that you have granted us and we lean wholly upon you. For some of us are out of strength. For some of us are out of understanding. For some of us, the knowledge... And the truth of your word are escaping us. And we're faltering. We're slipping. And for some of us who are holding a load, the Lord, uh, the world is, uh, is looking at us like we're crazy. Father, let them see. Let them see that we're crazy in love with you.